Hey everybody, this is your host Jeremy. I want to take a quick second at the beginning of the episode here just to let you know that we have launched a Patreon to support the show. Check us out at patreon.com slash mic. Your contribution helps us cover hosting costs, edit costs, and even some equipment upgrades. Patreon is a way that you can automatically support the show each month with a donation as little as a dollar. $5 every month gives you access to regular premium episodes as well as the backer-only special cat photo email list. You can actually see the cats of the host that you can hear in the background. Once again, that is at patreon.com slash giving the mic. I thank you, or my co-hosts thank you, and the cats thank you. Hi, I'm Jeremy. I'm a dork living in Portland, Oregon, who spent too many years listening to podcasts and not doing anything creative. This is my attempt to rectify that, to create and contribute something where I talk to people about their cultural obsessions and try to give some recommendations of my own. Welcome to Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in once again to Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person. I am your host, Jeremy. Brought three guests here to discuss both the Portland DSA chapter as well as lefty organizing in general. Let's see. Guests, if you would, please uh, introduce yourselves to our uh, our studio audience. Uh, my name is Olivia Catby-Smith, and I am the secretary of the Portland chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America. I am Jody Folkdalipolito, and I am working with the canvassing work group of DSA. I'm, I'm Natasha, return guest and baby DSA card carrier. And I'm your host, Jeremy. How do you know him? Um, well, yeah, we are all card-carrying members of the Democratic Socialists of America, and I wanted to actually... Um, I am with a, working on a couple working with a couple of the working groups with the organization right now. Had been wanting to do a our own little like internal podcast, so I figured this would be at least a dry run as to a nice little like introductory one for our veritable dozens of viewers, um, some local, some not, just to like what the organization is. Because I think at least definitely in podcast land, um, actually, and overall, I wanted, uh, you know, Democratic Socialists of America, the DSA has kind of like just skyrocketed in both, uh, well, membership and just presence and just kind of like, you know, curating, if you will. And I was wondering if I, if, if any, whoever wanted to weigh in, I think, Olivia, you are, you're the actual, like, I think, highest ranking member here. If you could just to describe the organization and uh, pitch it, if you would. Or like, why would uh, what it is, and why would why would one want to get involved? How about that? So DSA is the largest socialist organization in the country. We just reached thirty thousand members today, actually, which is super exciting. Yeah. Um, I think we have this number might be wrong, but I think I saw that we have one hundred and eighty chapters now, which is amazing. Um, and yeah, we are organizing as a, as a leftist, uh, progressive, and explicitly socialist alternative to uh, the neoliberal and neoconservative politics that are existing and fucking everything up in, in the mainstream system right now. Um, so uh, I think people are disillusioned with the political process, as they should be. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's I think that's the main reason why DSA has grown so much so quickly, especially right after the election. When we go out canvassing, 
I train my canvassees, you know, in kind of like a really like general overview because you don't know whose door you're knocking on. And so what we say is, you know, we're a big organization. We believe in working for living wage, uh, housing for everybody and health care for everybody. And so those kind of things really resonate with a lot of people. And I think we're seeing a growth in DSA because of that. And it doesn't even those are like your hooks. And then later people figure out like, oh, yeah, that's socialism. <laughs> cool. <Yes>. Socialism <laughs> is a scary word. But if you if you lead with these policies and people are going to, you know, inherently like agree with things they're like oh yeah why wouldn't i agree with that you know <laughs> then then later you get them with the socialism right <laughs> absolutely not that we hide that we're socialists when we're door knocking absolutely right. not but <laughs> i mean you're wearing a shirt i'm sure right? yeah well buttons but, <laughs> buttons that's true the shirt yeah the um the <laughs> The next round of shirts isn't out yet, is there? It's coming. It's coming, yeah. We we are waiting because they are union made and mm -hmm. they they have like a back order, so uh, we don't want to we don't want to get the non union made ones. That's know? true. That makes sense. You know, support your local support your local t shirtery, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and there's just been too many people like joining. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> everyone wants a shirt. Yep. Right. Well, yeah. Well, that is kind of the thing. That's like the modern. You know, I say wearing a shirt from the uh the 2012 portland adult soapbox derby event it's kind of like it is um both what self-identification and self-expression and just kind of like hey i want a cool shirt mm -hmm. along with like tribal affiliation i guess and it helps if it has nice graphic design yes well and i think it kind of helps like spread the message too like mm -hmm. if i'm wearing a dsa shirt and my coworker sees me wearing it like oh you're in dsa let me talk to you about that i've heard mm -hmm. about them like can you tell me more um so I, th I think it's a little bit of advertising too it's important, actually, because I think the visibility on the group is still pretty low in terms of your mainstream. Right. Yeah. I think we've we've covered we've talked about this in one of our earlier episodes, too. But I wanted to ask, um, I guess, each, each of you, like what kind of um, what decided what motivated you to get involved with this particular with this particular group or shit with any particular group that was a bit more. um I don't know, active, uh, a bit more like, you know, obviously lefty than just vanilla Democratic Party party of uh, Oregon or anything like that. Like, why kind of why uh, why go beyond kind of like, you know, trad two party organizing? What do you think? What, what, what led you to that or motivated you? I mean, so I grew up in rural Ohio, um, so I was surrounded by Republicans my whole life. I worked for a Republican when I was 18. I quickly realized that I did not want to work for Republicans and I was not a Republican. Uh, but I still saw politics as like the vehicle for change. Uh, mm -hmm. So then I worked for Democrats and I also realized that they were bad and they, you know, they had this like weird means testing way of doing everything and like private public partnerships, things that didn't seem like they were actually making a meaningful difference. And then then the 2016 election happened and Bernie Sanders came along and he talked about democratic socialism. And I was like, oh, what's that? You know, I mean, I had, of course, heard of socialism, but never in like a modern context, never mm. like in the context of American politics. I just had never put that together before. Um, so then after the primary and after the after the general, I joined in November right after the election um, because I was like, OK, fuck this. I can't just like sit around and post like, I need to actually do something real. I need to put my, you know, I need to take action. Um, so I joined uh, DSA right after the election and never looked back. You're still posting, right? Oh, yeah. Right. I'm still oh, posting. Oh, thank God. Oh, never stop posting. Never log off. Yeah. Jody? 
Um, I think I was thinking about this on my drive over here today that in 1994, I grew up in Southern Oregon and there was some sort of, I think, state legislature about timber and like timber use. And our teacher, fourth grade teacher, set up this really like it thoughtful like debate system where we read and then we had to take sides and debate with each other. And I remember me and two other kids were on the Democrat side and then all 16 other kids in my class were on the Republican side. And I think that kind of sealed it in my mind where I was like, okay, I'm going to have unpopular politics. Like, that's who I am. (laughs) (laughs) And so I guess growing up, I kind of always had that like, okay, like it's okay that I'm not agreeing with Southern Oregon politics. And I moved to Ashland after high school and had many friends with forest names and very active in like more environmental causes and went door knocking with other people that I knew who were very active. So when November happened, it was kind of one of those like, yeah, I've always been vaguely active in things, but now it's actually time to do something. So I joined my neighborhood association, <laughs> which you did something. It's not DSA. And then I was like, okay, I need to get. And I just like that was that's great. And I I totally believe in hyper local politics. I believe in changing the immediate lives of people. I think that's great. But I was like, I need to do more. So um, I joined formally joined DSA in spring, um, but have always kind of thought of myself as a leftist. So. Awesome. Yeah. Do you want to do? Do you want to do at least a brief, a, a brief review, or <laughs> Natasha, or you know, I feel embarrassed too. But I, yeah, I literally signed up for DSA a month ago, and of course, my card is going to be in the mail for a while. It's fine. I can console myself. Um, <laughs> I'm just really happy to have found an organization that actually represents something for active political change in this country because I think a lot of us grew up disillusioned by it. Um, you know, of course, nine eleven happened when I was in high school, and I went through it. Most of my male friends from a small town in Washington that didn't have anything else to do went into the military um, and suffered for it. And the whole idea that our nation was broken was kind of always at the, the forefront of our mind to the point where polit- politics just became disgusting and horrible and weird. But when the election happened, I think we all kind of had had to wake up to the fact that if we're not doing anything, nothing will change. And I'm really, really glad that DSA's prosperity has come out, you know, whether or not it's from, you know, so quote unquote birdie bros, which whatever, like I'm, I'm count myself as one of them. Um, and you know, I, I'm really happy to see it blow up. Awesome. Yeah. My own particular history was, um, always, uh, even though, uh, you know, um, where did you grow up in Ohio? Uh, I grew up in Delphus, Ohio, which is a town of 7,000 in, like, the northwest corner. Like, do you know where Fort Wayne, Indiana is? Yep. It's about 45 minutes from Fort Wayne. Okay. I would uh, born and raised in Flint, Michigan. Okay. And uh, I had I have had uh, my mom, uh, mom's side of the family is from Portsmouth, and uh, right on, which is, you know, south, which is about an hour or two east of... Uh, southern central Ohio, uh, east of uh, Cincinnati, we'd always drive through Ohio a lot, like like a lot, like you know, two or, two or three times a year, just from north part of the state down to, and this isn't even including like trips to Cedar Point. Um, 
Oh, hell but, yeah. Cedar Point is amazing. Yeah. Everybody from that area loves Cedar Point. Yeah. I just took my husband there for the first time ah. last year, and his mind was blown. There's a great day waiting for you with everything you want to do. Great Park, Great Lake, Great Day, Cedar Point, the amazement park by the lake. What is their, what's their, what is their latest and greatest like flavor of whatever. Shit, I don't know the name of it, but we wrote it and it was crazy. Dream of a screaming summer day. It was like the the most inverted roller coaster in in the world. Hmm. Uh, so you're upside down all the time. No, it's oh. like it's like a the the drop down is uh, inverted. Oh. So like it's not just like a straight oh, drop down. It's an inverted you're drop angled. down. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that sounds terrifying and wonderful. It was both of those things. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. God, I haven't been back there. I haven't been to. You never. You never got a chance, Jody. You never got a chance to go to Cedar Point. Did you? Have you ever heard no. of it? No, I haven't. I lived in Wisconsin for a couple of years, and the closest I ever got, I think, is we went to the Creation Museum in Kentucky. Oh, and yeah. that's about in Cincinnati, yeah. and that's about it. Yeah. The um, <laughs> the I think I think the I think what is it? I think it's the Wisconsin Dells oh, okay. have plenty. Have probably more in a few places that are sort of like Cedar Point. But at one point, I think sometime in like I don't. I can't. It has to be like in the 70s to the 80s. At some point, Cedar Point just went nuts and like, screw this, we're going to be bigger than everybody else and went this massive roller coaster thing. We'll take you away to waves of fun, to the greatest coasters under the sun. There's a great, great lake just to splash away. Summer was made for a Cedar Point day. This summer, get away to Cedar Point. We've got a beachfront hotel, a camper village for your RV, a marina for your boat, and lots of great restaurants, all on the shores of Lake Erie. Cedar Point! Sweet. A lot of people got traumatized by the, the, the November election. For me, it was the 04 election. I moved out from, from Ann Arbor to Portland September, yeah, two months before the 04 election. Um, at one point in Arbor, you know, where it was still really online as always. And, you know, we were still, you know, we'd watch Daily Show every night and listening to Air America because that had just started up. And but I can remember when I first moved here and was lost my first job here after about two weeks of having it. So I had a lot of spare time joined up with I think it was America Coming Together, which I believe was like George Soros's like oh four like voter registration group. Just to like, you know, register voters. So you were a Soros paid protester. Um. <laughs> Yeah. This was the, uh, this was before the protesting part came. Oh, okay. So are we going to get paid for this podcast, by the way? <laughs> uh, we have well, to start a Patreon. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> and we have to make a lot of ironic jokes. Yeah, um, we do have a Patreon, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> Patreon.com slash giving the mic. Uh, you too can give no, whatever. <laughs> yeah, our Patreon, our Patreon bonus is you subscribe if you if you give us the you can either tip us some like a dollar a month or whatever you like or you subscribe you'll put you'll get you'll you'll hear special backer episodes only and get access to our backer only uh, cat uh, cat photo email feed of the various cats you hear in the background of the of like, all the hosts. So that was special, but no. But, the 04 election is what, because what, I, I was like with America coming together, which is like a lot of voter ridge. It was the, you know, so like really, really involved. Then that election happened. And then that was what traumatized me. That was like kind of the initial, the initial like hardening of like, okay, this is bullshit. And it got much more, much more leftier. And it wasn't, um, and then wasn't really, I think fast forward, you know, living through, like living through the Obama era. And it wasn't really until, like, I think a lot of it literally was like the Bernie campaign that kind of, which 
even like listening to uh, Tom Hartman's radio show because he would have Bernie. He'd do he would do like like Fridays with Bernie or brunch with Bernie. And it's Friday, so it's brunch with Bernie. It's time for our national town hall meeting with the guy I think of as America's senator, Senator Bernie Sanders. Sanders.senate.gov, his website. Of course, he represents the great state of Vermont, where Louise and I live for about a decade, and we were pleased to have him then as our member of the House of Representatives. Bernie, welcome. Great to be with you, Tom. Always great to have you with us. We would actually, because Tom Hartman had a radio show in Vermont, I think, for a while, for years, and even when he was still a, a representative, he would call Bernie, and I'd just have Bernie like do Q&As on like a Friday, like an hour, for like 15 years. Finally, hey, you run for, and that was kind of a thing that finally like got me into like, okay, and you know, time to do this, and then one thing, and then, um, and then eventually after, I think enough podcasts got in my head, I'm like, okay, maybe I should, you know, join this organization because the traditional way of, of political organizing is um, not really covering it. One thing I did want to ask about is, um, brought up, but it was, I want, uh, the, the, the idea of like, the November election, but also of, of also like trauma and like anxiety and activating. Because there's one thing I wanted to, yeah, of what I thought was inter what an interesting reaction is that it's like Jody Dean uh, once, to actually, I think was recently interviewed. She talked about if you do not have a political hor a horizon you are organizing to, then like politics is just kind of like doesn't seem like there's really much all that it is to do except for like, you know, arguing about shit on like social media and that's it. <laughs> This whole opposition of you know class versus identity seems to me a, a, a false thing. That's almost a, a neurotic symptom, a fixation on some you know primitive idea that uh, we can't get past. How do we break out of this uh, very unproductive uh, cul-de-sac? The very first answer always has to be practice, right? Good old Marx's answer is practice and organizing and actual struggle. A comrade of mine, Hannah, gave me some really um, a really good insight um, a week or so ago when I was complaining about um, call-out culture, right? Because one of the things that many people find frustrating on the left is not just what appears to be the kind of brochialist phenomenon of ignoring race and class, but another kind of phenomenon of constantly calling out people for privilege and constantly trying to um, essentially undermine people at any step of the way and tell them, well, go do your homework and you know address the white supremacy within yourself and all of this. Yeah, I'm not going to do the work for you. Oh, yeah, that line. Oh, I know. It drives me crazy. So my friend Hannah, our friend and comrade Hannah was saying, you know, we might be better off if we look at that phenomenon as what happens when people don't have a communist or socialist horizon to their politics, right? They feel really helpless. They don't see anything to do other than change attitudes and speak out. And so, and, and, and they don't have a forum for doing this other than social media or the dinner table. And so if we start to maybe recognize some of these phenomena as symptomatic of communicative capitalism or the kind of liberalization of the left, we see it as symptomatic of the loss of an organized political left, then we might be able to address it a little better, right? Rather than thinking these people are just bad, which is utterly unhelpful, we can start to see, oh, um, what we need to do is work better at um, building our left political organization. So I found that really helpful, right? 
to think about call-out culture as a symptom of what happens when people who really want to be involved in left struggle actually are not in organized politics. So um, I think the answer then is organized politics. Yeah, I, I keep thinking of the, back on that Le Tigre song, Get Off the Internet. <laughs> I guess it didn't take. <laughs> And maybe calling, you know, maybe calling your um, calling your representative once in a while. So one thing I did want to ask, if um, like, what do y'all think about just the benefit of the benefit of of uh, the benefit that like actively organizing and also, you know, as they say, logging logging off and getting the hell out into the real world to actually achieve something. What what does how can that actually help with say, um, you know, let's call it November enforced trauma and anxiety and stuff like that. Well, when you're talking about the 2004 election, like that totally resonated with me because that was the first time I got to vote in a presidential election. And I was living in Minneapolis at the time and I was still a registered Oregon voter. So I did voting by mail. So when they you know, came up to me with clipboards, I was like, no, I can't vote. I can't sign this because I'm not a Minnesota resident, but I can I can help you. So that was the first time I ever got involved in like dragging around clipboards and being getting people to sign stuff. And then to have that blow of like, you're kidding me, like Bush just won again, like coming of age, being in high school when September 11th happened. You're like, you're fucking kidding me. Like, really? <laughs> um, so I think that trauma was very real for a lot of people in my age group. And so looking and not to like reinforce the stereotype of DSA. But if you look at the makeup of DSA, it is a lot of people <clears throat> in their 20s to like 30s, which is like that prime age group. So we all kind of experienced that 2004 to some extent. And then coming into Trump winning and you're I just remember looking at my husband at the bar when we were watching the election results and be like, yeah, we deserve this. Like, of course, Trump won. Of course, you know, because after 2004, not enough was done to change things. Mm -hmm. And I think that really, whether people realize that that was what they're feeling or not, I think that feeling was there. And I think that's what helped motivate a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, for me, being involved in DSA is the only thing that keeps me from descending into crippling depression. Because, like, I know that I'm actively working towards a goal that 30,000 other people share and are also actively working towards. Like, doing... Uh, I'm also the co-chair of the feminist branch. Um, so like, you know, being in a room with 30 other women talking about how we're going to organize for single payer healthcare and why that's a feminist issue is it just leaves me feeling like high at the end of the meeting. Like we can do this. We're actually going to get stuff done. Like there are people who, who share my views and I'm not alone. And yeah, Trump is president and everything fucking sucks and the world's going to end soon. But also, yeah. like, <laughs> but also maybe we can stop that from happening. Yeah. Or we can, you know, mitigate the damage that's going on ongoing, basically, by having a plan for the future. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was my thing was even. Yeah, I remember that night. It was kind of a thing where it's a lot of a lot of people were heavily emotional. And I was kind of like, well, I don't this does, you know, this feels like bullshit, but. I think my my uh, my attitude later in the night was kind of like, okay, well, you know, fuck it, time to get started. And it was that was the thing is like, because I remember I just remember the trauma of um, of '04 and the, the time when I was right after I because it was also that happened right after I moved I moved to, to Oregon and didn't really know too many people. But yeah, this at least helped. It's a, and um, so doing it now, that was kind of one of the things that I liked is that at least you know there was there was a way to there was a way to 
positively channel the energy and the anxiety. There was a way to sublimate it. There was a way to, so that it wasn't just kind of like people freaking out on like the on, on like social media and kind of like just, you know. As they continue to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, you guys keep talking about the trauma of 2004. I was in seventh grade in 2004. So, mm-hmm. like, I think that's really helped uh, the momentum of DSA is that it's so many young people who aren't, like, beaten down by yeah. all these defeats yet, who who are still full of optimism, you know? Mm-hmm. We haven't had our dreams crushed yet. We feel like we can actually make a difference, and I hope that this time we're right. Right. Well, enough. I think, yeah, I think to use Brooke Gladstone's term, uh, you know, reality has broken enough, reality shattered our view of what, how things actually were in like, oh, in uh, what, how things were and what, how they should be and what they could be kind of got, you know, just, uh, just shattered, you know, hammered, thrown against the wall into a thousand pieces. And so now things are both, uh, really interesting and really dangerous, but really, um, pretentious, pretentious, uh, whatever. That's not a word. Portentious. Portentious. Sure. That it works. Mm-hmm. All right, let us take a quick break, and we'll be right back. And we're back. Are you? Let's see, are you both on the on the feminist working group, or I think you're you're the co-chair. Yes. Were you part of it too, or more of the more of the canvas group? I am not. I am in the labor working group and the canvas. Okay. It, the way that our chapter is structured, though, there's not like formal membership within groups. Like, if you come to a meeting, you're a part of it. So you're part of it in spirit. Yay. I love that it's not gate, no gatekeeping. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I think I have gone to at least one of the organizing meetings for the the uh, socialism study working group, which was I think like six of us trying to put almost like putting together curricula in a in a, in the little uh, in the, in what used to be the red and black cafe. Yeah, the social justice action center. We do a lot of stuff there. It's a great space. Mm-hmm. Um. One of the a question that I did have was uh, I should probably talk into a mic since we're actually recording this thing. One of the questions I did have was I wanted to ask about, especially given well, I mean not only twenty seventeen, just re- extremely recent events. Um, I think why do you think you, uh, I'll ask the uh, the panel of assembled women here? Why do you think it is important? It, to I guess emphasize women in the in the particular group right now. Both the why is it important, but also the, both in, I don't know moral importance, but also functional benefit. I mean, I don't think it's a question of right now or right. the times. I think it's always been important that women be given a voice because we're half the fucking population and we have never been given a voice. And DSA is like the only organization, or uh, you know, the biggest organization. Uh, doing that right now giving a prominent space giving most of the airtime to women uh as they fucking should be um because you know we've been oppressed and marginalized for so long and it's about fucking time that we we have some power yeah and definitely politics feels or has felt in the past like something that's a boys only club kind of thing and like you have your token women but that's about it and even now when i talk to like coworkers or other people about you know what I'm involved in outside of work I get the oh oh so you're 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 part of this political group oh is your husband oh are you did your husband get you into this and he just want to be like oh fuck off like yeah and it's other women too it's not it's, just men who yeah, say that it's other women and you're like why why would it have to be that way that I would only get involved in something because a man led me to it mm. Yeah, that's like kind of like the constant question. And it comes out of 
it comes out in everything, I think. It's just kind of one of those unfortunate facts that we have to live with. And I, when just seeing the, the erasure that's happening online of women leftists, and especially women of color leftists, like spoken over and spoken down to quite a bit, like it's been eye-opening to me how much that establishment refuses to believe that things like universal health care or, or child care will help women in so many ways that we've never had access to. They use reproductive rights as a way of keeping us squarely in our place and have been doing that from the beginning of time. So, you know, in order for us to effectively, you know, have women as part of our movement, we have to definitely like share that with them that this is for you and will help you. I also think, though, DSA being such a young group um, lends itself not only to like the binary gender equality, but like kids are so much smarter than yeah I was at their age. Like 18, 19, 20 year olds have such a better idea of sexuality and equality so that they are just naturally, I feel like more inclusive of non-binary pansexuality, yeah. all these other facets of humanity that typically get overlooked. And all so the time. because DSA is so young, like, that is more included than it has been in a lot of older established political movements. Well, yeah. I mean, even Gloria fucking Steinem said during the primary, like, you women are just voting for Bernie to impress the guys. She said that? Yes, really? she said that. Oh, well, I'm not surprised. Ugh. Feminist icon Gloria Steinem has received significant backlash for a statement that she made implying that young women who are rallying behind Bernie Sanders in great numbers versus Hillary Clinton are just boy crazy. Now, she said this uh, in a sit down with Bill Maher. Let's take a look at the video. And, and when you're young, you're thinking, you know, where are the boys? The boys are with Bernie or, you know. Uh... Ooh. <laughs> now, if I said that. <laughs> no. No, no. Yeah, they're for say... Bernie because that's where the boys no, are. No, no. But, you, you, but it's swap not. Me. Come no. on. So obviously she's receiving some backlash for that. Now that comment was made uh, in this uh, longer speech that she made talking about how, first of all, women get more radical as we get older because we experience, not to overgeneralize, but men tend to get more conservative because they gain power as they age. Women get more radical because they lose power as they age. Now she's getting a lot of flack on the internet for saying that. <laughs> yeah, like it, it continue, it's going to continue to go on and it you're I, I feel like honestly like the dsa is like one of the few safe harbors for people that don't want or can't or don't fit into the ideas that this country is kind of been predicated on in terms of both its political and social cultural everything right like right i, I mean feminism right now is a brand you know yeah. it's a cool brand that like women can, can ascribe to i'm a feminist it's cool now uh but yeah. they don't really have a a deep understanding of what it means to be a feminist and and people talk about equal pay but only in the context of like More corporate women. equal pay like <laughs> equal pay doesn't mean fucking shit if the pay itself is shitty if me and my uh male worker counterpart are both not making a living wage what does it fucking matter that we're getting paid equally we still can't survive on the wages we're getting paid you know exactly and people don't put together that concept they're like well you know, equal pay. Uh, I'm. A, why aren't there more women billionaires? You exactly. Know? Why aren't yeah. there no billionaires? Yeah. <laughs> None. Eat the rich. 
Oh, yeah. I think, yeah, that was the thing that Amber Frost once said. That the question is not why are there not more William, William billionaires, why are there billionaires at all? Yeah, totally. The... Um, one of the, I think, something, uh, Natasha, something you mentioned about, like, it, it being a space, it being, I guess, like a space for, something about, like, making a space for it and, um, like, with, that wasn't traditionally there. I'm wondering, in the, because because DSA is also is a very young organization, and so a lot of things are still kind of, like, I don't know, even though, like, almost, like, up for grabs, and it's a very fluid, uh, heavily developing um, culture, I'm wondering... My question, this is something I've been thinking about is how do you, how do you form or improve, form an improved like intergroup culture when a lot of people co are coming from uh, a map, you know, pop, you know, America's had like horrible political culture for, uh, for the last four decades with like a lot of bad ideas. You mentioned like, um, Olivia, you mentioned like, you know, feminism as a brand. I think and if you ever, if you get a chance, I recommend Andy's, Andy Zeisler's book that came out like here talking about marketplace feminism. Um, my question is, is I've been thinking about like, you know, how do you, how do we, uh, how do we build an internal culture? Cause I know that, um, they're still working on trying to establish, um, it was like, like a grievance hotline or like a grievance committee to handle in case, you know, just to protect, uh, in case of like anyone in the group, you know, you know, to protect against like, you know, the harassment from, of members or anything like that. But I'm wondering how do, um, it's almost think of like, how do we, uh, how do we develop a culture that actually helps what we want it to be when everybody is coming from a culture there were there's just a lot of like ingrown bad habits um how do we escape how do we escape the neoliberal hell yes but uh, well not and, just the, yeah and our own personal biases yes, and totally. implicit and you mm -hmm. know but in, in yeah i think exactly that and especially since we're coming from a time when uh the the normative behavioral leaders a lot of the stuff of like offering the example of here's what you do here's how you handle that was has has well, you know has been shown to be like completely inadequate like how um how do you, you know people who you know raised in one culture and the idea ideology of one culture how do you build another one from that um when you come when you're you know you're kind of stuck in the old one I mean, like you mentioned we have we have a local grievance policy uh where we have a committee uh of two women and one man who are um you know supposed to be unbiased um, and take grievances anonymously and handle them in a fair manner. Uh, mm -hmm. We have that locally and we have a national policy on that. Um, we also use certain practices like progressive stack, you know, where you prioritize the voices in a conversation of women and people of color and people who are traditionally, you know, not that comfortable speaking up uh, in, in big groups. Um, I think that the way people are socialized as people who are socialized as men are socialized to be leaders and people who are socialized as women are socialized to be more passive and not encouraged to to take on leadership roles so we have to be really conscious about the way that we um the way that we elect leaders we, we have a quota for leaders um and also the way that we divide labor in our chapter to make sure that we're, we're not dividing it in like a gendered way where women are supposed to make the flyers and get copies while men do all the like writing of the the, the real meat of the work. You know, um, we have to make sure that it's a space that's, um, you know, inclusive and it's it's empowering women, not um, not the, the traditional, you know, kind of. Uh, you know, the women are the secretaries, even though I'm like the literal secretary of the job. <laughs> you know, we were going to 
change that uh, word, but we couldn't think of a better one in time, so we just kept it for now. Yeah, um, like the Secretary of State was <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and that's that's the only thing that I've ever felt as being a part of DSA. I've only ever felt lifted up and empowered as a woman, mm-hmm. um, and I hope that that other women can feel the same way. And I think most people in general, like whether they're DSA members, Republican Party, I don't care who you are. I am an idealist and I believe in the inherent good of people. And I think that most people don't want to be assholes. Like I do, I feel like deep down, most people do not want to be sexist, do not want to be racist. And I think it's just a matter of educating people on things like microaggressions and, you know, all these small acts that people don't even realize what they're doing is incredibly powerful. And so it's just changing a culture. Um, not even just within DSA, but changing, you know, nationally, internationally, talking about this makes people more aware and just better in general. Yeah, and you can provide that criticism constructively and peacefully and nicely. And I think uh, people respond to it a lot better than the typical, you know, <laughs> well, yeah, we live in a time of call out culture, which is just understandable because there's been a lot to call out. Um, oh. And I, I mean, I fuck up all the time, too. So I would like somebody so- to DSA uh, has tried to make it a policy to call in rather than call out. So if you see a comrade saying something that's offensive or doing something wrong, you know, you make an effort to say, hey, this is offensive because of this, rather than, like, you know, dragging them publicly first. You know, you first make an effort to kind of, like, in a comradely way, correct their behavior. Um, And I think that's, that's a good way of doing it because people often don't know. You know, we've We've all been conditioned in this racist, sexist society. We all have these habits that we're not aware of. Um, so so to approach someone in good faith and tell them, hey, I didn't like that you did this, and you know this is how you could do it better, I think is a really productive way of, of helping each other learn. And most people will learn for it learn from that like true some people might lash out because they don't take criticism well right. but I think ultimately like, everybody not everybody most people want to be a better person yes most people yes we, we will just i'm an idealist in that sense too yeah <laughs> i even include my fox news watching grandfather in there you know maybe if he listens to enough of my podcasts he'll change his mind i'm wondering and it's in it connects to my, my my earlier question too i'm wondering it's kind of a thing where in this this relates in term in this relates in terms of the internet how do we um, first like the benefits of the internet for organizing, but also, you know, how limited is online organizing, especially since a whole sh- like like I said, we've had we're coming from, you know, decades of bad uh, of just of like bad habits, and and thanks to the fact that most people talk to each other through uh, you know social media, which is constructed in certain ways that people don't actually think, but it's constructed in ways to you know kind of like enough of a you know twelve different flavors of Skinner box getting you to the point where you continually where you you read to react, and the whole point and you are incentivized to kind of like to. I don't know, be a hyper reactive, like atomized consumer. It's like everything that um, political organizing is against. So it's at some point it's it's like, you know, how, how, you know, how do you, how does one grow a better culture, you know, uh, organizing culture when, when so many, you know, even like a lot of us came from, you know, on the internet all the time where like the most like unhelpful habits are out there. 
of like where like, the whole point is like, hey, let's of, like dogpiling and like witch hunting. And I think uh, Freddie DeBoer used the ex- he used the 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 expression offense archaeology of when someone says something wrong and they immediately you, or someone you don't like, you start digging through mm-hmm. f- five to ten years of posts just to like pull things out. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, both in the good and the bad, you can look at the Women's March as an example. Yeah. Um, because on the one hand, you have the good, where you have all these people who are not typically motivated politically who showed up. And they wouldn't have showed up unless they knew that all these people online were doing it. And it kind of gives you that strength in numbers. So that's the good. There, you know, there obviously was the bad as well. I mean, Portland's Women's March saw it with the original organizers and then the secondary group of organizers that came in. And there was a lot, there was some infighting that happened. Um, but ultimately, it came in for the, or it showed up for the greater good because, you know, we had how many thousands and thousands of people that showed up to say that they stood for something. And we, we need all the voices we can get. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I, I don't think I'd be a socialist if it weren't for Twitter. Uh, just because I, I just learned so much from following people, from following leftists on there. Um, and, and there is a lot of leftist infighting online, which is bad. Um, but also, I hope people see that and see that, like, we, we are people who aren't going to stand for, for harassment or for, you know, sexism. We're people that, yeah, as toxic as call-out culture can be sometimes, we are people who are going to call shit out uh, versus other political spheres where things get swept under the rug until they come out 20 years later. You know, we're, we're people who aren't going to tolerate that shit. Yeah, I think they take an, I think leftists online... And I feel the same way about Twitter. It really helped me understand a lot of what it was, what, what basically were the precepts of the ideas, even if the theory is obviously can't fit into 140 characters. But taking that ideological surgical knife to people's beliefs, especially politicians that are in the mainstream, I'm just saying, no, that's fucked up. That that was huge. That that changed my view. Every All of a sudden, the wrongness that I felt about how the world worked became clear in terms of the basis of why it was wrong. And I mean, it also just helps for, I just think to those poor kids who are growing up somewhere where they don't necessarily have that group, the online presence of other people who are into the same things you are, whether, you know, this is goes beyond politics. I think it is a better good than it is not because... Absolutely agree. Yeah. And yes, and it serves itself well to things like DSA and politics because you can have people who move to Coos Bay and can maybe find a group. Totally. Um, you know, I was a delegate to the national convention this year and I met uh, another delegate uh, who's from rural Ohio, kind of where I'm from. And the, his closest DSA chapter was like two and a half hours away. Um, but he was an at large delegate and he was super involved online. Because he, he found out about DSA online. That was like his only way of, of being involved because he didn't have a chapter that was close to him. And Isn't there a Tennessee party that's or a Tennessee chapter of DSA that's very similar where it's this huge expanse of area? I haven't heard of that. That would be awesome, though. Yeah, I'm um, pretty sure. Like, I think it's Tennessee. And I think that DSA yeah. nationally uh, has a, a rural and suburban like working group where they're like actively trying to get those people connected and... And hopefully we will have a chapter in every city eventually. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's something to work towards, and it's nice to have that solidarity online. It really helps. Otherwise, for a lot of us introverted people that don't like to go outside of our houses or we don't like crowds, I mean, I didn't go to the Women's March because there were too many people. And (laughs) also because I kind of felt like a lot of the girls that I knew that went there weren't really going there for any reason except for to show up. I mean, glad they showed up. But at the same time, I was kind of jaded by the fact that they didn't have an idea of what they wanted to accomplish with it. Um, So having that a idea of something to come accomplish with it and then being able to spread that word, you know, whether it's locally in person or online is huge. Yeah. Um, about the women's march, I kind of felt the same way. I was there and it was super inspiring, but it was also kind of disappointing just because I felt like people went and then they felt like they had accomplished something. They felt like they did something and then their <laughs> their political work is done now. They can go home, yeah. they can go back to their cushy lifestyles and have their Black Lives Matter signs in their yard of their, you know, double lot house and not actually do anything exactly. to change to change the the political sphere. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I had a similar feeling and I just kind of chalked it up to me being a little bit more like angry and <laughs> radicalized. It was a bad for it. <laughs> you should be angry and you should be radicalized. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just and I'm sometimes just <laughs> yeah yeah that's the problem that other people weren't angrier you yeah know? <laughs> yeah i kind of wanted more anger yeah, yeah. I, totally. wanted, I wanted more like you know like fake blood yeah, and like I mean, knives and like seriously like <laughs> knives out i was with other dsa people this was in when was the women's march december or january 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 yeah. okay yeah. so we were still very small then we had like 15 people marching with us uh, and we were trying to get like chants going and everyone was looking at us like why are you chanting like everyone was so <laughs> silent I was like this is the most boring protest I've ever been to oh god yeah <laughs> yeah more angry women please yes if you're please. angry and a woman join DSA <laughs> but you know what if like it's covered internationally nationally as like some political movement towards the left like and all these thousands of people showed up for some leftist women's issues like that's a win overall that's what? a win totally i don't care if you're just there because you know yeah. your sorority sister called you up and asked you to come like right it's still good 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 on you yeah <laughs> yeah i think the somebody once said it, yeah the, the point is is not to shame the normies the point is to slowly Incredible. is to incrementally radicalize the normies yes. By small degrees. Got that. Uh, Speaking of large events, uh, are there any uh, are there any upcoming events that you'd like to uh, you'd like to let folks know? Like for uh, for example, if um, either stuff you're working on, or save when the next meeting is. So I think I have the next event, October 29th, at the SEIU Hall on Foster and 64th in Portland. We are having a healthcare community meeting. So it's a gathering of people. We just canvassed in Lentz, which was incredibly like awesome. People were so excited to talk. Um, I had so many really in-depth conversations about how Medicare for All would benefit people in the working class. And some were people who were like, yes, I'm 100% behind this. And some people were like, I don't want government in my health care. <laughs> And they were still really good conversations. And so we went out last weekend. We promoted it. And so we're meeting on October 29th at 1 p.m. It's a potluck. It's a community event. Um, 
I will be emceeing it. And people will come. We'll eat some food. We'll do kind of a sharing stories slash agitating, like, this is why healthcare is important. And then we'll have a really informative slideshow by a wonderful person named Jessica, who will tell us all about healthcare, healthcare for all, Medicare for all, single payer, and why we need it, and the FAQs to argue with your Republican parents. And that's on that's, that's awesome. Sunday the 29th, correct? Of October, yes. October, okay. Uh, I've got a couple of events, too. Um, this Saturday is the Feminist Branch meeting, um, and we're going to have a representative from NARAL talk about the Reproductive Health Equity Act, which just passed in Oregon, um, which is supposedly supposed to uh, require comprehensive coverage for reproductive health services, but... You know, there are still a lot of loopholes and fine print for insurance companies. And, you know, we wouldn't really have to have this bill if we had single payer health care. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about, like, what we can do um, regarding implementation from a, a socialist perspective. Um, and that's at 12 o'clock on Saturday. The 21st. Yes. Uh, at Social Justice Action Center. Um, and also, oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, which is at, was it, is it Washington or is it, it's like. Southeast 12th. It's, yeah, it's 12th. And Oak, I think. Yeah, I think it's at Oak. It's where the Red and Black Cafe used to be. Right. So if you've lived in Portland long enough to remember that. <laughs> uh, and our, our next general meeting is November 12th. It's always the second Sunday uh, of the month. Um, and it's at SCIU uh, on Foster. And um, we are going to be. Voting on bylaws, which sounds boring, but it's important that people turn out for that because we need quorum. But also, we're going to be hearing from Andre, who's the chair of the Seattle DSA chapter, um, about lessons from the John Grant campaign, who is a a socialist DSA member who is running for city council in Seattle. Um, And the election is literally right before our meeting. So he could win, he could lose, but either way, we're going to have some lessons from Seattle to talk about. (laughs) Awesome. That's and great. skipping all over the place, actually, I told you there's another event, um, the labor branch meeting. So for those of us who are in unions or dream of being in unions, um, Sunday, October 22nd at noon at the North Portland Library on Killingsworth, we are getting together to talk about labor issues and what we want to do. We've been talking a lot about how we want to work more in educating people about unions um, and just really emphasizing the education piece and then also doing some more service kind of like uh, resume writing. How can we branch out and just help people in labor? And then our next canvas is November 19th, I believe. And we have not determined where we're going to go canvas, but we are going to go out, hit the streets Um, We usually meet, we're going to meet at SEIU. Um, We'll provide some training, you know, go over the script. You'll practice it a bunch of times um, and get all the words of wisdom. And then we send people out in pairs to go knock on some doors. And it's actually a lot of fun. It's terrifying. (laughs) And the first few doors are totally intimidating and scary, but it's a real cool experience. And I totally recommend everyone, whether they're DSA or not, if you like, the idea of having no copays or having complete comprehensive health coverage to come out with us. Absolutely. Hell well, yeah. Where can they go if they, where can folks go if they want to find it more information? Facebook. Yeah. Uh, so we have a Facebook page. Um, 
Portland Democratic Socialists of America. We're also on Twitter. Uh, we have a website, which is portlanddsa.org. Um, and if you want to join DSA, go to dsausa.org slash join. Awesome, which is what I did just some months ago. All right. Uh, and last but not least, wrapping things up, um, shifting in the one reg- semi-regular segment we actually have on the show for endorsements and recommendations. Um, do you have anything you've been that you've been digging on lately that you'd like to share with others, Col- uh, culturally pop or not? Can I ask you a question? Certainly. Have you already wrecked heavy medical? I have not. Okay. So I'm going to recommend Heavy Medical. It's a podcast by Tim Faust. He's one of the largest voices in the DSA right now speaking out about how single-payer coverage is the only solution. He's a total nut for um, healthcare policy, and his partner, uh, Kelly Joe, who's on the podcast with him as well, is also a lawyer in that field, I believe, um, or at least is involved in legal aspects of it. So um, I work in the health insurance industry, you know, especially durable medical equipment. And I see the suffering that happens daily from people who are not allowed to receive the services that they require to not only be comfortable and, but also to survive. And it's a sick, sick place and we need to fix it right away. Um, we, I think we all kind of know this, but the way that Tim explains it, I think breaks down kind of the, the, the bigger wrongs within the insurance industry itself, because it's kind of seems from an outside perspective, I know it is very difficult to understand and to break down into it. So that would be my recommendation. The uh, oh, say the and the other. What is the other thing that uh, Tim and Kelly Joe really love? They love metal, and I love metal too. <laughs> so they talk about metal every week. Um, very briefly, discuss an album that they like. It doesn't get too far far into it, but they do have some sick tunes played in between their their segments. I really appreciate it. But which variety of metal? I mean, are we talking doom? Are we talking? I think they're like... all inclusive about it. I we I think we're all into a little bit more of the stoner, sludgy, doom metal variety. I know I am, <laughs> but yeah. I think yeah. The looking at their website, looking at the uh, the fir- the very first episode, they talked about uh, cost bundling and uh, carceral health updates, and played some. Um, is it Kirith Ungle or Sirith Ungle? Uh, Kirith Ungle. Kirith Ungle. Yeah. They have like they have like another band. Kavertelek. That yeah. Yeah, they have yeah Kavertelek played a couple of those and then um actually played Kavertelek a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I think it's one of his favorites. Yes. Yeah. Tim. Yeah. If you can't uh, find yeah, uh, Tim Faust and Kelly Joe online, um, they're um, they are they're interesting people and worth. Tim worth is checking also out. known as the guy on Chapo that laughs like a cartoon character. <laughs> he goes yuck yuck yuck. <laughs> really cute i love it sorry sorry tim anybody uh, anybody want anybody else have anything you'd like you'd like to recommend i have i have one thing i've i've got some recommendations go for it um so i've been listening to season of the bitch which is a leftist podcast by women uh in dsa um Laura Kerrigan is one of them, and I met her at a a feminist DSA leadership training that we both went to in New York, Um, and she's awesome, and I can't recommend their podcast enough. It's really good. Um, Also, um, I am reading October right now by China Mieville through Verso Books, which is amazing, Um, so I I would highly recommend that, too. It's about the Russian Revolution. and one more book recommendation I want to make is called Dangerous Subjects by Kenneth Coleman, who is a Portland DSA member, uh, and he is in the education working group, and he's a historian, and he's amazing, uh, and you should totally read his book. And it's about um, it's about a, 
a black sailor who was shipwrecked in Oregon. Um, and it's kind of like following the sailor through like the the black exclusion policies that happened in Oregon that made it like a whites only state. Um, so yeah, those are my recommendations. Awesome. Joe, do you want you want anything or? Um, I mean, I. So I'm a teacher, and I don't have time in my day-to-day to listen to a lot of podcasts. Like, you know, I do DSA, I do union, I do teaching, I do so much that my time where I'm not doing anything is filled with just whatever I can, like, not think about anything. <laughs> so uh, I really recommend re-watching or watching for the first time, as I am Deadwood. Um nice. <laughs> It's Deadwood about? Can you talk about that? Oh, it's an HBO show about Deadwood, North Dakota, South Dakota, Dakotas, um, and the founding of that in like the 1890s, I believe, 90s, 80s, 60s. I don't know. Um, that's just proving my horrible history knowledge, but um, fantastic show. And it's after the Civil War. I know that. <laughs> yes. Um. And then um, my most silly recommendation, but I really, I, I like to bring this up at parties because people look at me very crazy and then I talk to them for an hour about this and I'm more crazy, but then they're also kind of swayed to my beliefs. Um, the most proletariat, the most working class show on TV currently is Catfish on MTV. Oh my God. I'm so excited to hear this. <laughs> I've always wanted to watch that show, and now you gave me a You've reason. never watched it? No. Oh, my God. So I feel like they do the best job of reality TV in going and speaking to people of different economic classes. And they go in, like, it always starts with them going into somebody's house. And so you go to these places. You go to Milwaukee. You go to the Deep South. You go to uh, just weird rural places sometimes. Sometimes it's inner city. But it's where people honestly live and they sit and they talk to people and then they go to another person's house and they meet another person. And you're just getting a very honest view of how people live in some ways. And it's always the premise of one person looking for love across the Internet. And as the seasons have been going on, the people, the demographics has changed. As it being an MTV show, you would think they'd be like 15 year olds. (laughs) But the people have just been getting older and older and older. Oh, wow. <laughs> I feel like with... That makes me really happy, actually. Yeah. So they're like the same age as like Neve and Max at this point. You know, they're mm-hmm. like in their 30s. Um, and just like not... And they're not playing them up as being like these dum-dums. Mm-hmm. Like they're playing them up as being like these hopeful, s- sweet, sincere people. And I really take a lot of heart in that. And I really wish people would give that show more of a, a critical viewing. I will definitely do so. <laughs> Thank um, you. I just want to say one thing, and you can cut this if you want, but I, so I met my husband on Twitter, uh, and he drove from Chicago, where he was, to Ohio, where I was, which was a five-hour drive to meet me, and I fell asleep. He was, like, texting me, like, what miles he was on on the way. Like, he wasn't texting and driving, really, but it was just, like, one hour away, you know, 
Uh, and I stopped responding in the middle of it because I fell asleep. Oh, man. And he and he was like, "What the fuck?" Like I'm, I he literally he literally thought that he was getting catfished, and he was like, "I'm gonna have to get a motel <laughs> in this strange state that I've never been to." And like, uh, he finally came and like knocked on the door for a while, and he saw my cat in the window, which he had seen pictures of. So he's like, "Okay, I think I'm in the right place." And then I finally like woke up and came to the door, and it was. A big relief, and now we're married. <laughs> that is the best meet cute ever. Yeah. I love it so much. So I don't know if that's going to make the cut, but <laughs> it totally makes the cut. Absolutely. And maybe Neve Shulman has horrible politics that I'm just not aware of. Oh, oh, he does actually. Okay, so oh, I do not condone oh, that. He does. I he is not really, politics. Right? I don't even know if I should really say this. Yeah. Uh, this might be cut, please. He assaulted a woman in an elevator. Oh, great. I think. Oh. I think it was an elevator. Like, why is it always in an elevator? I don't know. know. It's because it's a small, small enclosed space Small enclosed space and in lots of movies. That's yeah, why you and, fuck. And the, the, yeah. the security camera is always on in there. Yep. He, yeah, he punched a woman in the face. Oh, um, oh wait. Yeah, he punched a woman. Jesus. Yes, that's sorry. what I meant by assault. Oh, I, I'm yeah. sorry. Okay. I didn't mean to. I automatically assume the worst. Oh, <laughs> I know. Yeah. I had the same thought. I was like, ew. No, no, no. It wasn't sexual assault. It was like yeah. literal assault. Well, I mean, it's all literal assault. But it yeah, was, but it, yeah. it was it was a punch in the face. Uh, so I do not condone that at all yeah. in any way, yes. nor do I. <laughs> and then he issued like a non-apology about it. We have deemed out. this person problematic. Yes. We can <laughs> still appreciate the art, I think. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, depends on if the art was made with it, the problematicness involved. I don't. I mean, was quite, he the no. creator of Catfish? Was his, it really his idea, or his is he brother just the was. host? His brother was. Okay. okay. So well, his brother made the movie about him because he was. I know way too much. <laughs> <laughs> Catfish cannon. Um, so his sorry. his brother's like what? I'm sorry. Jerry. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm, su- I'm surprised the show's still on the air because I knew it was on the air. Yeah, me too. It's been like oh how many years? Uh, I think. Season seven. Yeah, an MTV. An, 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 yeah. A non. A is it on MTV? On yeah, a non. It's on Hulu. Yeah. Nice. Not okay. up to date though. Okay, mm-hmm. I was gonna say like a non, uh, a non, re- a non like, um, like real world road rules. I'm yeah. dating myself there. Type show that on, on like modern MTV for seven seasons. Jeez. Right. So, um, his brother initially made a documentary that he was like a film student or something, and him and his buddy were making. Just happened to be video videotaping Neve and his online relationship with some girl, mm-hmm. and they were going to make a documentary about true love. So Neve flies out to wherever to meet this girl, and it turns out to be like I think the girl's mom, you know, and she was you know significantly older and older weight overweight and blah, blah blah, and it wasn't the one he loved, and it won all these awards at like Cannes and like all these documentary awards. Mm-hmm. So man, pain does. I know. Oh, sorry. Especially when you're just a handsome young Jewish man, like Neve Shulman. Um, and then, so Neve got the, uh, got an offer from MTV, and his, you know, they start the show saying, he got all these emails from people saying, I have the same story. More likely, he probably got an offer from MTV, but, um, and so Neve and then his filmmaker buddy Max go on the road to discover love. Um, and so that's kind of the backstory of it, but... Um, yeah, no, but I just, I totally think it is like the best view of what everyday Americans live like. Yeah. And I think it is worth that critical viewing of the show. Um, I just want to correct the record quickly because I Googled it. Uh, no, not you. Uh, so he did, he did punch a woman repeatedly. Uh, It was not in an elevator. The story came out after he posted a picture on Twitter 
where he was in an elevator after the the Ray Rice incident and was like, Ray Rice is a coward. Like, real men show respect, and it's a selfie of him in an elevator. And then this woman was like, oh, actually, you punched me in the face and got kicked out of our college. Um, so that's, I... I Thus the, ele- the elevator confluence. Yes, yes. Uh, the, thank you for clearing that up. That yes. Like, so, he, so he punched a lady in college. Yes, and, and got he got he got college. kicked out of college for punching a woman in the oh. face. And then he That's tweeted an elevator selfie saying, I respect women. Modernity, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, <laughs> I guess last but not least, unless anybody else has any other, has anybody other recommendations, uh, I'll recommend a newish book come out, uh, just published earlier this summer, called, grab it here, called Meddling Kids by Edgar Quintero who is a Spanish author. This is his second book in English. Meddling Kids is kind of a... Uh, it's a, a group of... You can kind of call it pastiche, but it's kind of much, it's a group that's kind of a mix of like you know teen investigators who are they're kind of like Sco- the Scooby Gang. There's some like three investigators or like Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys mixed in. But the, uh, what this is what happens like after they have their they have their big case like the big last case in 1977, at like a big spooky house. They th- they think they find the person who you know was scaring everybody in a big scary mask. And then it turns out 13 years later, their lives have all been horrible ever since. And they kind of go back together to meet. They all kind of drift back together. At least the surviving ones go back to their original town where uh, they grew up in, in, uh, in kind of a a fictitious, (laughs) fictitious town, a fictitious small town in Oregon on the, you know, like this, it is on the Zoinks river. (laughs) Because sometimes they they do like I said, there's a bit of pastiche bits on here, and they uh, to solve to kind of resolve the last mystery they're on, and found out there's that there are far more Lovecrafty things involved. So the book is pretty much a mix of um, imagine if your grown up Scooby Gang solved Lovecraft mysteries and only had a lot more uh, post traumatic stress disorder in there, along with the with the requisite um, substance abuse. It is a lot of fun. Sometimes it gets a bit too cute for its own good, but it's it, it's a it's definitely worth reading and goes down real smooth. Sounds perfect. And yeah, that is uh, Meddling Kids by Edgar Cantero. All right, last but not least, how can folks get a hold of you if they have any uh, questions or comments or that kind of a thing? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Live Kitty Cat. It's Live Kitty Cat with a K. All right, and I apologize already for my silly Twitter handle. And I admit I don't tw- tweet a lot, but I do follow people a lot. Um, I'm at ScaryBear1701, which is totally Star Trek. Um, I, Make it so. Yeah, I I initially only created a Twitter handle so that I could live tweet <laughs> rewatching original Star Trek. And I think I made it for tweets and then forgot about it. So revisited it many years later, and now I... You know, just follow a bunch of leftists, so that's cool. We all found ourselves on Twitter eventually, right? <laughs> for better or for worse. Yeah. Probably for worse for me. Um, you'll find me at Ashes for Foxes, and and that's on Twitter and Tumblr. Awesome. Uh, you can find, as always, you can find the show at uh, Giving the Mic. Uh, we are 
We have our own Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash giving the mic. We also have our own Patreon. Aha. You know, you two folks can help us put out this show uh, because um, both the, the hosting costs as well as uh, trying to uh, we've been trying to upgrade some equipment. So we actually get decent mics that are not all, you know, three fourths of my mics or, you know, just might happen to be goodwill acquisitions that I'm trying to upgrade a little bit. My ex's studio mics. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. Just, just cut that out. I'm sorry. Don't cut it out. Drag him. <laughs> Drag him. That, so and um, and uh, yeah, that's uh, and uh, yeah. Well, and if you need to get a hold of, if you need to want to find me on Twitter, um, my uh, my my Twitter handle is uh, Jeremy NPDX with underscores in there. All right. Um, I mean, thanks. Thank to my assembled guests for spending their uh, Tuesday evening in our uh, in our uh, beautiful scenic basement studio apartment studios. Uh, any final words? Join DSA. Join DSA. A better world is possible. Yep. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. And that's it. Yeah. Feels good, go. man. Thank you. You guys are wonderful. Yeah. Thanks. And there you go. Now you are now. You have now. You have now podcasting. <laughs> podcasting group. Wait, no, see, uh, well, this is podcast material, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it was uh, like a Milwaukee paranormal investigators, and it was like <laughs> you signed up to go with this group of people, and we went to some house or like some old farmstead mm -hmm. in uh, Rockford, Illinois. Nice. <laughs> awesome. And they well, had, did like, you find ghosts? Did you find <laughs> Did, did, did you have any weird sensations? There were some. There were some ladies freaking the fuck out next to me, but I think they were just freaking. The fuck I think out. why? Because it was like dark and spooky. Yeah. I feel air. <laughs> it's cold on my neck. Yeah, was, that's the thing. Those yeah. ghost shows are kind of the were like the early, the pre-social media, um, react videos mm -hmm. of their time. Of like, dude, dude, did you feel that? Dude, yeah. you know, I think exactly. like, yeah. you always have a couple guys yelling, dude. Mm -hmm. Oh, good. Leslie Lee uh, is now following me on Twitter. All right. More pot. Uh, one of the guys from a uh, struggle session. Yeah, I was the like more podcast host, the better. I think he followed me too. Um, and uh, Brian, murder Brian. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Love him. Um, you guys listen to Street Fight? I don't. Uh, my husband listens to a lot, and I yeah. know of them. And they're they're Columbus based, which is where I'm from. Oh, I'm, awesome! I'm not from Columbus, but I lived there for a long time. Nice. So. I follow them on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I don't. I just can't. I have too many podcasts to listen to. Yeah. I yeah. literally cannot listen to another podcast. I uh, we'll yeah. Talk I, about your favorites. I'm interested to hear. <laughs> yeah, mine. I, I about a year or two ago, I realized that you could adjust because I use Downcast. You could adjust the um, the the playback at like about one and a quarter. Which made, um, which was fast enough to. No, you're not. All, no, you are not updating. Thank you very much. Um, 
you could adjust playback from like regular to like a, like a like one and a quarter, which is fast enough that it cuts a lot of the dead air out, mm. but doesn't pitch everybody's voices up to like chipmunk voice. Mm. So I was able to, and you were able to like you know chew huh, through like an hour yeah. of like an hour of pot uh, like an hour long show in forty five fifty minutes. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. And seeing as how I um I have like earbuds in my head eight hours a day or so because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's 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 kind of a thing where i both need you know a lot of add means i need the extra s- stimulus and also it works for a great white noise generator yeah. but it's a um yeah it's just like there's there's too much to listen to it's kind of like it's like well what you know what what tv shows have you been watching <laughs> well you know it's we're at um we're at peak tv mm-hmm. where it's impossible even like even like the top you know the cream of the crop stuff it's like, i haven't no, been watching anything yeah. and then i just end up watching shit anyways yeah yeah it's like I, shit is comfortable and makes me feel better yeah i you know the, there's super dramatic elevated stuff is makes yeah I can't do it. My brain's already broken by the world. (laughs) I just need an escape. But um, Street Fight is fun because it's definitely... uh... Okay, feeding back way too much on there. Mm -hmm. um, um, Street Fight is fun just because it is... um, Talk about multi-tendency. It is another... Call it another lefty pod. It's like sarcastic lefty pod. Only they've been doing it for like six years. Yeah. Like a couple of guys who were like just stand ups around Columbus, mm-hmm. and they were, this was like their Sunday night. Well, they're like true my generation working class guys that yeah. grew up loving corn, and you know, yeah. You know, they talked about they, <laughs> they went out and they they recorded they recorded shows at at the at the Struggle March and just talked about how yeah, they were they just yeah they discovered ICP when they were like sixteen. It's, that which, was one of those weird moments, like where it was like. Okay. <laughs> All right. Cool. The Juggalos United. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I, I listened to the one that they did with the military. Yeah, that was dude. a good one. That was a really good that one. That guy's great. Which one? Uh, uh, which one? Uh, which one? Brace or uh, no? Bryce. Bryce, I think. Yeah. Oh, Bryce you, Belden. You're talking about Bryce, Bryce, Bryce Belden. Bryce Belden. Bryce Belden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know if that's his real name, but that's yeah. Yes. But yeah, I listened. <laughs> I listened to that street fight, and that was a really. really it's good. a really good one. Yeah, there was yeah. another military one by the guy that's like, well, that he has that podcast about having been in afghanistan anyway well there's well it's called uh, a hell of a way to die yeah hell of a oh, way to die. yeah i've heard that one's good i haven't re- listened to it yet hey i can hear i feel I like i heard everybody. that one too yeah like my husband kind of filters the mm-hmm. like he's filters like all my podcasts for me because <laughs> i have such a little podcast time yep. that he's like this one's important listen to this one I think nice. <laughs> this chapo is really good listen yeah. to this chapo yeah. This yeah. one will piss you off. <laughs> we listen yeah, to Chapo as like a dinner time ritual. Like yeah. while we're both cooking dinner, we'll listen to Chapo. Yeah. That's adorable. I love it. <laughs> God, I need a leftist man. <laughs> yeah. I just uh, yeah, with Rachel, I just sent her like here. Listen, I just sent her a little pod racks. Yeah. Through uh, through Facebook Messenger. I do that with my gr- group of girlfriends. I got them on Champagne Sharks. It was pretty cool. Like I was like. <laughs> They're like, wow! Some of this stuff is really intersectional. What's your major? It's um, he, well, he was he guested on. His name's um, T, and then he has a couple other co-hosts now. But like he uh, posts, I mean, he's he's just kind of like talks a lot about black issues, like modern day and representation. And he like one of his first podcasts is like a two and a half hour rant on Hamilton, which is just it's just fucking hilarious. <laughs> it's got, yeah, he was he's on Twitter as like Ricky Rawls. Oh, I think I know. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing is, it, yeah. that's one of the things that... Twitter handle. Yeah. Um, there we go. But yeah, he's had some pretty, pretty interesting interviews. There's a lot. There's a little bit of questionable fe- anti-feminism in there, which I don't quite get behind, but 
otherwise it's really interesting to see his perspective because I think the thesis that younger black men are kind of like the most oppressed group in America is probably the uh, there's a really good case for it you know like Especially, do I? F- I mean, yeah. I just kind of had the no shit like mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> kind of yeah. reaction. He's, yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know who else you would put in that category. <laughs> I don't know either. Yeah, so that's the major subject. All right, let's everybody. Let, let's try your um, yep. try your headphone levels because I am good. I'm I'm pretty decent host. I'm pretty decent editing. I am still learning how to actually level everybody's um everybody's voices together on a conversation I am actively a part of. So, can can you at least hear me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The uh, the little the little amplifier you can adjust your I guess just fi- uh, adjust your level uh from here. And um let's see okay. which one is you. Just cuz you always want to he- adjust it for like yeah, yours is number three. Blasting. Keep talking. Talk. Hello, 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 hello. There we go. Hello. <laughs> hello, 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 hello. Wait, wait are you even? Can, can you hear yourself at all? Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't know. There's a couple of these little like uh, little connectors that are slightly wonky. Hello, hello, hello. Oh, sorry, I adjusted yours, didn't I? Oh, I adjusted somebody else's. That's no, too. that's perfect. We're good. <laughs> Together, we can find it. Yay. We can Yay. find the perfect level. All right, let me move this my little pop filter so I'm not actually hitting the stuff. I realized I need to get one of those. I have a broad, I have a big problem with peas. With that? Peas. Yes. We all pop. The um but this little foam screen doesn't really do that great of a job. Well, the other like I said, this thing this thing I got at Old Town Music cuz it was used for like 5 bucks. But there's always the uh the backup, which is always where I put it. The backup is always here. We just bend, <laughs> bend, uh, bend a little like, close hanger together, <laughs> and then whatever, either pantyhose or like the little like circular like cross stitch stamp- mm-hmm. sampler. Stick one of those in here, and then use that as a fr- as a frame. <laughs> That's to a good put idea. I like to have one that's cross stitched with some kind of motivational statement for me. Like you're going to fuck up, bitch. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the. Uh... I think there's an entire like you your know, cat a... is going to meow in the middle of your long, really well articulated speech. Oh yeah, but no, that's, that's totally endearing. It's okay. Yeah. yeah, I think cats meowing in the background makes every podcast better. Yeah, it helps the dollop mm-hmm. for sure when it happens. Yeah. I haven't listened oh, to that there. one, but I did listen to my favorite murder, and they recommend it a lot. That so. one's staying oh, up, or is it awesome. falling over? It is. Oh, yeah. staying up. Those guys are funny. Kitty cat. Yeah, occasionally, once in a while, if you listen to this, you will hear you will hear collar jangle, uh, and uh, that is Callie Cat, aka Doofus, aka Pudgems, uh, aka Callie, wandering in behind us, and occasionally will will head bump, headbutt your leg for attention. So it's one of the things. I hope that happens. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, well, it's, they're both passed out right now, so we'll see if I get one chance in three. It's the cutest interruption ever. Yeah. Like you, or sometimes you just hear just hear meowing like off in the corner from someone wanting you know wanting to be let outside. Here, I wish I could let my cats outside. He would die. Yeah, same with my cat. She's like super timid, and Mm -hmm. we she was our first pet, and now we have two big dogs, and so that's made her like even more timid. So she's so like she's just like slinking around, hiding in a corner. Yeah, five minutes. Yeah. All right. So I think I don't think she'd be able to survive outside. Yeah. 
Well, at least the she gets along with the dogs, or kind of. <laughs> they have a complicated relationship. Like if she runs, they will chase her. If she would just stand up for herself, they would yeah. leave her alone. Like a cat will run up to them on the street, and they'll like be so scared. Mm-hmm. But like because our cat lets them bully her, yeah, then, then they do. They have that instinct to chase and run yeah. after them for like, sure. It'll be fine if she's just like laying in the room. And they're laying in the room. They'll leave each other alone. But if she runs, they're going after her. Aww. Can you see her? Is that like right in front of your face? Or of course, it is right in front of my face. Okay. We can lower that a little bit. There we go. Thank you. That's a lot better. Yeah, there we go. Okay. And because this is an Edwardian house, um... That is not does not have the thickest of walls. You can hear our upstairs neighbor and his hardwood floors uh, stomping around occasionally and running. You know, occasionally. Actually, I don't remember if it actually makes it on the air or not. I've never heard it on there. The only thing I've ever heard is like the water running in the other room. That's true. <laughs> yeah, uh, laundry room is th- on the other side of a very, th- very thin door. Jody, can you try your mic? Okay, I'm trying my mic. <laughs> All right, let's see. I can keep talking. Uh, please, if you would. Uh, my cat, I have three cats and one dog, and definitely the dog you is bullied. You have three cats? Oh, uh, yeah. I'm That's one great. of those people. <laughs> we let the cats outnumber the humans, and it was just the end. <laughs> we didn't think one was going to make it, because she has a tumor that's, like, as oh, big as her oh. head. Well, and we're like, bad. oh, she's going. And so we got a kitten, so our other cat wouldn't be lonely. Mm-hmm. And, like, a year and a half later, she's still just... She still have the tumor? Yep. Wow. Swaddling around with this giant oh. tumor. Oh, my gosh. So I'm assuming it's pretty benign, or... I didn't believe so. We don't believe so. But she doesn't seem to care. Well, you know, so. power to her. Right? Absolutely. But, yeah, the cats bully the dog, and... Yeah. What's your dog's name again? Peaches. That's what I thought. <laughs> what kind of dog is Peaches? She's a pit bull Sharpay. Oh, nice. Yeah. I love their little faces. So Peaches yeah. and my one of my dogs have met yes. before, and they, <laughs> they were great friends. Awesome. Did you have a doggy day date? Uh, so we had a picnic for DSA. Oh, okay, nice. Uh, and both of our dogs were there, so they, awesome. were, they were very happy, and they're yes. socialist dogs. They're so. socialist dogs. Yeah. Yep. Just a 